What's up? It's episode 124, Pain Points of Wealth and Disbelief is the Mother of All Bull Markets. We hit a recent high this past week in the S&P 500, piercing above where the index was last August on a lot of really good news. Inflation coming down a lot over the course of the last couple of months. We see the Fed making a decision to pause on interest rates. China is stimulating their economy as it's been slightly slower than was expected on the reopening here. So a lot going on, a lot of questions about what's going to happen for the rest of the year. Is it highly likely we're going to go into recession, not going into recession? And does this bull market have legs? Well, obviously, we're going to give you our two cents on all that today. And on the tipping point today, we're going to talk about the long game. When you're investing your money, trying to get financially independent, you got to think long term, not short term. We're getting into all that today. We got a great show. Check it out. Hit the music. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, I've been hearing so much about going into recession. Are we going into recession? Are we going into recession? I'll tell you what, I'm going into a recession depression because I'm so tired of hearing about it. <laughs> really? That's odd for a man who was just on vacation for like three weeks. Uh, biking <laughs> in the Alps. Vacation while you're up biking in the mountains in the Alps. Germany. Yeah. All I wanted to talk about was recession, Chris. And you're depressed? I, I, was, doing, I was doing research on the international markets. Thank you. <laughs> I get it. Well, you had yeah. 20, 25 people on a two-week vacation in Germany. <clears throat> and they're complaining. <laughs> you know what? People are people are good at one thing. Yeah. They can always find something to complain about. Well, it's it's actually all coming clear to me now, Bob. Is Chris is kind of European? If you look at the time he takes off from work, I mean, he's basically he could he could live in Europe uh, full time. Well, I'm just glad he didn't wear his lederhosen, you know, on the podcast today, <laughs> uh, like he did when he was in Germany. Yeah. You know, it's not like Ryan wasn't uh, in Monte Carlo in France, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, but just saying. Yeah. You know, it's clear to everybody that I spoil my children. So let's let's move on. Uh, <laughs> you guys got such a great life. I'm, I'm, I'm jealous. But uh, yeah. you know, here's the thing about investing. You know, you go back and, and the market bottomed. Now we know with hindsight that it bottomed in October. I think it was October 12th. Um, and you go back and you look at the headlines. You know, we had inflation raging. We had the Fed hiking interest rates with no end in sight. Uh, every economist was predicting a, a recession, maybe deep, hard, maybe soft, you know, maybe a depression. Um, and, you know, no one was ringing a bell. No one was waving a flag. No one was telling us a good time to buy. But, you know, here's what history teaches us, guys. You don't get great prices with great news. No, exactly right. And the news has been horrible for like over a year. In fact, if you looked at like the level of pessimism uh, or negativity around markets, the economy, it's one of the longer stretches we've seen in a very long time. I and mean, it goes back all the way through last year. So we're well over a year now of just like hearing the barrage of bad news and headlines, which hasn't equated to what's really going on in the economy. It's like this disconnect between what you hear in the media and what you see in real life. And Bob, you and I talked about this like last week. I remember when the great financial crisis happened, like two years before that, you and I were just driving around and we saw all these empty lots, right? Like all these beautiful new homes bought or not bought, built, and no one buying them, just like these vacant like ghost towns. And we looked at ourselves and we said, look, this is going to be a problem at some point. And that's really what you haven't seen this time around is like evidence in the real economy that things are horrible. In fact, you see the opposite when you walk outside your door. Well, you have employment going up and, and you know, employers are smart, right? If, they're, if business is slow, they don't hire people because they're being charitable, right? They hire people because they have demand they have to fill. So you have, you know, employment has been through the roof. Unemployment is at an all-time record low. Um, so it's not surprising that the economy is muddling through in spite of the headwinds. I mean, let's face it, the Fed raised interest rates 
uh, to such an extreme level in a short period of time, you know, it's a tremendous headwind. And of course, now the bears are saying, well, they haven't even impacted the economy yet. Well, guess what? It has. The economy <laughs> has slowed down, but the economy is still very, very strong. It's muddling through. And that's what the market's looking at. Not today, not yesterday, not last yeah. week. It's looking at next year. I was talking to a client of mine yesterday and they had some cash to put to work. And they said, Chris, don't you think we should add this cash back into like short-term bonds? Uh, we don't want to go into the equity market because we're reading that too many people are putting money into equities and it's not a great place to be. And I said, well, I said, let's think about that for a second. I said, if too many people are putting money into the equities market, doesn't that mean that the market should be going straight up? They said, great point. I said, well, good. The market's not going straight up right now. Now's a good time to put some money to work when the market's cheap. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's, well, there's two misconceptions here. Number one is you're hearing about like how we have this concentration leadership. We know the big names and mega cap stocks like NVIDIA, Google, Microsoft, Apple, you name it, has been up big this year. And you talk about this concentration of stocks that have done well, but we've seen that broadening out, meaning money is starting to spread out into small caps, uh, industrials, materials. Uh, we've talked about the international markets being an all-time high. So I think the one thing as an investor right now, if you haven't gotten in, it's not too late, but you don't want to just jam your money back into tech, which has been the hottest part of the market this year, like spread the money out because there's lots of places to put your money. And number two, you know, going back to what you just said, Bob, there's this misconception that like we haven't even felt the rate hikes yet. That's not true, right? In, you know, if you look at mortgage rates, they skyrocketed as soon as the Fed raised interest rates. That was an immediate effect uh, in the economy. And secondly, you got to remember the government bestowed trillions of dollars upon the economy. So it's really a diluted effect from what's happened with interest rates. So, you know, there's just so many reasons right now to be optimistic, not pessimistic. And the naysayers are still out there, but you really got to ignore that noise. Well, you got to love it, right? It's so much easier to be pessimistic, right? It's it's sometimes difficult to be optimistic. But, you know, there are tailwinds that we have with this economy right now that I don't think are being fully appreciated, you know, especially artificial intelligence, right? I hear so many stories about, well, ultimately it's going to kill us and we're going to wipe us out and it's going to, you know, it's got the worst thing that ever happened. Um, you know, so like every, every innovation in technology is the worst thing that ever happens, but it's going to help productivity in every industry, right? So we have, you know, technology evolving, innovation, which is really what the U.S. economy and the global economy has always been about. Well, you know what, Dad? Ryan's still not sure about electricity. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you know, you, you only touch that electric fence once, right? <laughs> I might be a lot of things going on. It's like, you know, the, the, the companies are making big capital uh, investment, capital expenditures. I mean, Intel just announced two major plants for semiconductors. You know, the government's passed a lot of stimulus, I think, which is offsetting you know, the government, you know, creating a headwind in terms of, you know, limiting credit. So it's a it's an interesting balancing act. And, you know, the people that run companies, you know, the, the you know, the global economy is smarter than any government. And, you know, they adapt and they change. Yeah. So that's one thing that you, you can't ever outsmart the market. The market always outsmarts everybody. No, it's a great point. You know, our thesis is we're not even just saying that we're not going into recession this year. We're talking about the booming 20s here, right? The, you know, really the roaring 20s, just like we had back in the, uh, the 1900s. And, you know, it comes back to what you're just talking about. I mean, the AI impact is going to be huge. I can't stand talking about AI because that's all they talk about. But it really comes down to like a lot of the problems we need to solve. Everyone says it's going to take over our jobs. But the reality of it is, we've talked about this before, we have a labor shortage. You need automation. You need artificial intelligence just to fill in the gaps because we don't have enough people. It's like when I go to CVS now, I can self-check out because they don't have enough people. 
And that's really the solution it's going to it's going to solve for. It's the fact that we have a labor shortage, not that AI is going to take over our jobs. It's like a complete misconception, in my opinion. And, you know, don't forget, I talked to a client of mine a few weeks ago down in Atlanta. And, and one of the things she said, you know, the one thing I really like about you guys versus the old big firm I used to work with is that I can always get you on the phone. You know, I love talking to a person. You know, you can't technology can't replace that. That's a good point, Chris. But, you know, but it can aid in, you know, making more people efficient. But. You know, I like this idea, this concept of the Roaring Twenties, Rye. But you know, do you, you remember how that decade ended? <laughs> yeah, it was a huge with a huge bear market. Um, but man, that was like ten years away. So, you know, we'll deal with that when it comes. Uh, in the meantime, I think there's a lot of opportunity ahead of us, Bob. So, you know, let's, right. let's not Chris, get ahead of ourselves. No worries, Ryan will be retired by then. A crash six years yeah. from today. That's you sound like every uh, every naysayer on TV. Well, you know, we didn't get the recession yet, but it's coming, of course, because we're <laughs> always on the cusp of a recession at some point. Exactly. Um, we never repeat, never repeal the business cycle, and that's why it's so ludicrous to think that anyone can time the market. Well, I'm going to get out and then get back in when there's an all clear signal. Well, you know, yeah. as I said last week on the market commentary, clarity is very expensive. Do you think AI could improve Chris's sense of humor? I mean, I was thinking about that. I mean, maybe. Maybe it can't replace calling Chris on the phone and talk about his finances, but maybe it can make him funnier. I don't know. Just just a thought. <laughs> but, <laughs> Hello, Chris. And you call him brother, right? <laughs> but I think, you know, some, <laughs> just a couple of things, too, just the immediate future. Um, you know, not only are we talking about growth, it's slowed down quite a bit because interest rates went up, but it should accelerate until the end of the year. You know, one trend we talked about last week, Bob, when it was just you and I in the show, Chris, Chris wasn't here, is the fact that. You know, everyone's starting to go back to the office. Um, you saw a lot of the big tech, fir tech firms are making people go back three days a week. Um, that's going to help productivity. You know, the reopening of China has been slow, but it's going to happen. They are the second largest consumer in the world. And you're already starting to see like copper prices are starting to pick up, which is usually a kind of forward looking uh, look into or purview into what's going to happen with economic growth globally. Um, global PMIs, which is manufacturing, you know, they've bottomed out. Meaning, you know, manufacturing is probably starting to pick up. That's like kind of troughed at this point. So there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic on the overall economy, short term, not just long term. There's a lot of tailwinds that we have right in front of us. And they're not AI, which might help over decades or, or years. Well, that's a great point, right? You know, because you know, no one knows what the future holds. No one knows what's going to happen next. And these folks that make these dire forecasts, like, for example, you know, well, China just came out of, uh, you know, lockdown from COVID and their economy is not responding as quickly as everybody had anticipated. Well, what's the Chinese government doing? Sitting there and doing nothing? No, they just started to cut interest rates. They realized they got to stimulate their economy. So, you know, things adapt, things change, and you can't anticipate that. And when you're not invested and you get these positive surprises, remember, all surprises in the market, in bull markets, come on the upside. Well, you can't be in after the fact. You have to be an investor to take advantage of these things. And that's the point that I think is lost with all these negative pundits. You know, they never get anybody invested. How, you know, no wonder they have to be on TV. They don't have any other way of making a living. They don't even have a portfolio. Well, it's ironic. They're in the investment business, but they're always anti-investment. Anti-investment. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, it's probably the dirtiest little secret of, of the wealth management industry is just these... Uh, Wall Street pundits are just always looking at things in a dire light. Like you've, we've talked about this before, it always sounds smarter to be pessimistic. It sounds like you have an inside track to something, but it's completely unhelpful as a long-term investment. It's a sure way to lose money long-term, frankly. Well, like Ryan's Instagram post, it makes for good clickbait. 
Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 124, Pain Points of Wealth. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially, literally at any stage of your journey. But if you're thinking to yourself, I want a more hands-on approach, I want someone to review my situation, well, if you've saved over a million dollars for your financial independence or retirement, Bob, Chris, and I will run for you our now famous Total Financial Master Plan, and we'll do that no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally go through everything there's no other firm out there that will do this work up front. In fact, we go as far as building you, your own personalized financial portal, give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial picture, and hone in on every issue you need to address, whether it's an income plan for retirement, how to draw from your portfolio, how to draw from Social Security, how to diversify your portfolio properly, has your portfolio been all over the place as markets has been extremely volatile, or have you been sitting in cash paralysis by analysis, trying to figure out what to do. We're going to put together a full investment game plan, show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high cost, tax inefficient products like annuities, insurance products, mutual funds, brokerage products. We do a deep dive of every investment you own, show you how to reduce your costs and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make, it's what you take. You get our full tax playbook. Literally go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan if you saved over a million dollars for your financial independence plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right, it's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. Having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And Bob and Chris, you know, it's a great thing that we're all living longer um, in a lot of cases now, I think one of the fastest growing segment of our firm is people in their 90s. But it does pose a lot of complications when it comes to your financial independence plan. You really have to solve for your money lasting a lot longer than probably your parents did. So I thought we could talk today about playing the long game when it comes to your portfolio, things you need to think about so you can remain financially independent for the rest of your life. Well, you know, one of the most common objections I get when I sit down and I do an initial projection for clients is, you know, I tell them, hey, you know, if you if you keep going the way you're going, you know, you might run out of money by 75, 80. And the common response is, well, I'm not going to live past then. You know, my parents only lived till 65 or, you know, my grandma only lived till like 50. But the reality is, to Ryan's point, people are living longer. And you really got to look at it from planning from a perspective of like, well, in your 90s, almost sometimes into your hundreds. Hey, Chris, I mean, that's a great point. As a matter of fact, with everybody now, we're running it out to age 100. Uh, even though actuarially men are only supposed to live and women supposed to live into their 80s now, uh, there's a lot of people living into their 90s. And, you know, like my generation, we like to have fun. And, you know, if you're if you're living longer and healthier, you're still playing golf. You're still going out to dinner. You know, you're, you're still entertaining. It's expensive to live, um, you know, in your in your late years. It's not like the old days. So you've really got to plan for this. And unfortunately, a lot of folks haven't done the planning to see if that works for them. Yeah, but I think you are the you were probably the poster child for baby boomer having way too much fun. Um, you know, we say you went your pickleball lessons the other day. You got your your trainer now. Um, you know, you got a trip to Greece coming in the fall. I'm like, man, oh man, if I had Bob's life, I mean, literally, you can't call Bob, and he's not out with friends to dinner. Uh, going to a social event. If I had his social life, I'd burn mine, Chris. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Dad, Ryan does really display that woe is me card really well. I think he does you know, Chris. <laughs> I, uh, I got the smallest violin in the world playing right here, right now. So yeah. No, no, but it is a really important planning point because we see this all the time. We have a lot of clients that are baby boomers and their expenses just don't go down, right? You, you would think like, well, when I get into my 80s, I'm going to stop traveling this month and it just doesn't happen. If you're in good health, 
and odds are pretty good you probably will be, um, there's a lot of things you're still going to do well into your 80s, and you got to plan for that. I mean, take healthcare. You know, healthcare gets more and more expensive. Uh, they're having a hard time finding people to work in healthcare, uh, which means those costs are going to continue to go up. You know, meanwhile, the pharmaceutical industry and, and their R&D, they're coming up with better uh, formulas to, to keep us living longer, you know, better drugs for better people, I always say. Um, and yeah. it's just, you know, you have to plan for these things because you are going to live longer and you are going to be healthier and they're going to keep you alive longer. So, you know, you got you to factor in, you're going to spend at least a quarter million dollars per spouse, you know, in retirement, which I'm telling you guys, all the new cases that I've been looking at, no one's done this type of planning. They haven't. And a lot of it, too, comes back to like how you balance your portfolio, right? You, you can't be too aggressive, but you can't be too conservative. And I think that's really the art of financial planning is deciding what balance you actually need. Because we know if you get if you're too aggressive and you get a huge market downturn, um, you, you don't make that back. You're, you've got a big problem. Uh, but on the flip side, if you're just too conservative and you're not keeping up with inflation over time, and we saw how detrimental inflation can be this past year, well, you're going to have a retirement shortfall. And I think that's what a lot of you get wrong is getting that balance correctly, is getting the amount that you have to have in safe investments versus at risk. And we see this all the time. So this is something you have to evaluate and evaluate it every year. And maybe you're in your 60s or now and you're in your 70s now doesn't necessarily mean you can get away with a super conservative portfolio. It's really critical to evaluate that. How many times have we seen portfolios where somebody's chasing Bitcoin or they're you know, having to take more risk because they didn't do the proper saving or, or balance their portfolio properly? So they create all the stress in their accounts. And Chris, how many times have you seen it, right? These folks who, who really need our help now, um, who are no longer speculators, What's the one characteristic, right? They always have this gigantic loss carry forward, right, from all these bad ideas. And as soon as something gets hot, what's the first thing they do, buddy? Yeah, they want to chase that yield. And, you know, I think to your point, Dad, the hard part about having a well-balanced, disciplined portfolio is having that fortitude and strength to, you know, power through it. And I think really what that comes down to is having belief in what you're invested in and having belief in that you have a good financial plan. It's like all our clients say, hey, your strategy on planning isn't sexy. It just works, right? I'll, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I want a portfolio. I want a plan that works. I, you know, I want to be able to be comfortable because, you know, here's what I found out. Um, if you run out of money in your 90s, right, and you have children, your sons don't take care of your daughter. So if you guys wonder why I pander to your, your sister, now you understand. I think Chris would make a wonderful caretaker, but I digress. Uh, you know, the, the other, that is the other question, too. Talking about care, speaking of caretaking, is the healthcare component is a big deal. And I know for a lot of our clients, we're running the, the healthcare costs or the long-term care numbers for a lot of people right now. And that's something you really have to weigh out. Like if you're in your 50s or 60s, do you self-insure? Do you get a long-term care policy? And I can tell you there's no one right answer. Um, but a lot of times, all you're really doing when you give the money to the insurance company uh, is basically betting on a, a re relatively low rate of return. You have to weigh out, can I get a return like that on my own investments? And I, I don't think it's a really easy answer. It's not black and white. Not for everybody should be doing the same thing when it comes to long-term care to yourself and sure get a policy, but it's something you really need to start to addressing as early as your mid-50s, which seems early, but that's when you tend to get the best premiums. If you're going to get an insurance policy, you want to look at it then. These are the times where insurance companies really, really take advantage of everybody, right? They play on everybody's fears that they're going to run out of money. So they sell these investments, supposedly, you know, that can't run out of money. Well, yeah, they give you your own money back with no return. You know, what a great deal. So you got to be careful. You know, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to pray 
uh, be preyed upon, you know, by the insurance industry. Make sure you understand what you're buying and why you're buying it, uh, because typically a well-balanced portfolio is going to do the trick. All right, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. At uh, SVB or Silicon Valley Bank, remember that one? Just went out of business. <laughs> Employees at all levels could buy company shares at a 15% discount according to benefits to a benefits brochure. Staffers could also hold shares in their 401ks. SVB stock made up 18% of retirement plan assets an unusually high amount at a public company, according to an analysis by the National Center for Employee Ownership. It's always better to diversify, even if you love the company you work for. Doesn't matter how big the company is, doesn't matter what its history is, doesn't matter the track record. Buying individual stocks is pure speculation, it's gambling. And, you know, that study that just came out recently, guys, it shows since 1926 that 4% of the market drove 100% of the return. That's 1,000 stocks out of 10,000. Is delivers all the returns. You know, I guess when you're when you're buying your company stock, you just got to ask yourself every day, do you feel lucky? Yeah, and we remember Merrill Lynch, right? And we saw a lot of our friends at concentrated positions there, and then the stock basically went to zero. So you got to be careful out there. Chris, uh, Meta, as in used to be Facebook, is requiring all employees to work in the office at least three days a week with no exceptions. I think that's going to become more the norm not the uh, exception to the rule. Yeah, it seems like a lot of companies are doing this, but uh, you'd think that, you know, Meta with their with their metaverse, they'd be able to let people come in through virtual reality, but I guess that's just not their reality. <laughs> yeah, ironically, they're called Meta, yet they want you physically in the office, so. Bob, John Deere says it's fully autonomous tractor platform for planting, weeding, and watering, and harvesting could lower farm operations by 25%. AI is gonna help in every industry not just NVIDIA stock. Well, see, Rye, that's John Deere's answer, getting everybody back in the office. They don't have to be out in the tractor now in the field, you know, planting, weeding, and watering and harvesting. So it's, um, you know, it just goes to show you that's going to increase productivity. And, you know, as somebody who can work in, a, in some a different industry, it's going to increase productivity. It's going to increase more business. Earnings going to go up. These are the types of innovations that, you know, you can't predict or know ahead of time. When I was in Germany last week, I saw an automated lawnmower, and I thought that'd be the perfect thing for dad. Because no one likes to delegate better than dad. <laughs> I would I would pay good money to see Bob on a, a lawn tractor, just like driving on the lawn, uh, cutting grass. That would be a sight I've never seen in my life. So you know, Rod, you've been be you've been saying on national TV that when it comes to the recession, it's like waiting for a good dough. Well, waiting to see me on a tractor cutting grass is even longer. <laughs> the recession will come before Bob is on a on a tractor mowing grass. I think that's one prediction we can easily make here. Chris, right, Chris, emerging markets represent nearly 70% of the world's growth, but only 20% of the total global equity market capitalization, according to, Morning, according to Morningstar. A burgeoning middle class continues to develop in emerging markets and should present interesting opportunities for investors, albeit with higher volatility. Got to invest outside the U.S. Amen. And, you know, it's kind of funny. This is my favorite comment that I get from people is, you know, I don't want to own anything from China, but all the while they're sitting there texting on their iPhone or, you know, using a laptop that was de most definitely has components that were made in China. Well, the dirty secret is if you look at like all the S&P 500 companies and where they do their manufacturing, the majority of them is in China. <laughs> but, you know, we'll overlook that. Um, all right, gentlemen, another great show. Chris, glad to have you back. Nice uh, you could join us again. If you like our podcast, love our podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. 
Maybe leave a nice comment, let people know how fantastic our podcast is. If this is on Spotify, you can subscribe to our channel. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can like this episode, subscribe to our channel. Click that notification bell so you can be updated every week of all our new content. That's it for this week. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. 